Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. Rochester, may I have your attention, please? Wow, Valentine, your voice is really something. See, I told you, Pookie. And he's always available when you have a radio ad to do? Always. We're lucky. I am here to help whenever I rock plumbing needs me. Hey, Valentine, that's my line. Well, sort of. What do you mean, Troy? iRock Plumbing always has a truck ready whenever you have a plumbing issue that needs immediate service. Like a broken pipe. Absolutely, Valentine. We'll come right out. Like a clogged drain? Exactly. Same day service. How about a water heater that doesn't heat water? You got it. iRock Plumbing is always ready to jump into action. iRock! Dot Plumbing! Troy. Does Valentine know he only needs that voice for iRock.plumbing? I told him, Pookie. What are you guys whispering about? Welcome back to the Empire Builders Podcast. Dave Young here alongside Stephen Semple. Stephen just whispered the name of uh, today's topic into my ear, and, and it's uh, it's one that I've certainly heard of. It's one that I have vast amounts of experience with as a child. We're going to find out if they're even still around because they, they must be. They built oh, an yeah. empire. And I think I know a little bit of the backstory. It's it's sort of an accidental product called Silly Putty. Yes, Silly, Silly Putty. putty. Yeah. And to give you an idea of how big Silly Putty is, there's been 350 million eggs sold, which would account to about 4,500 tons of Silly Putty in the world. And it's in the... National Toy Hall of Fame, and it's in the Smithsonian Institute. One of my favorite things to do with Silly Putty is probably not something that today's kids can do much with it because nobody nobody buys newspapers anymore, but you used to be able to like smash the Silly Putty onto the comic strips. It would lift a little bit of the ink off. Yeah. And that would be kind of fun. And you could stretch it. And... <laughs> yeah. Kind of a goofy product, right? There, like there's no... There's no legit purpose for it other than just to, to play with it in your hands. And the invention of Silly Putty is disputed, actually. Some say Earl Warwick from Dow Corning. Some say that was the inventor. Most, including Crayola, who are now the owners of Silly Putty, attributed to James Wright at GE Labs in New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. So most say it was, it was James Wright. So we're going to go with it being James Wright. But in any case... Whichever one was the inventor, it was invented in 1943, and today it's one of the best-selling toys in the world. And as we're talking about, it's in the National Toy Hall of Fame in the Smithsonian Institute. So 1943 puts it right in the middle of World War II, and we're fighting to uh, uh, stop the uh, Axis and, and the Nazi powers. And if I recall, if I heard a story once, it was like they were trying to invent something that was part of the war effort. Yes, and in fact, that's exactly what it was. And again, just give you an idea of Peter Hodgson is the person who ran with Silly Putty and popularized it. Um, and in 1976, when he died, his estate was worth $140 million, which is probably in today's dollars, you know, $600 million. He did really well. 
He did really mm-hmm. well by this. But you're right. And it was a year after he passed away that it was sold to Crayola. But back to GE Labs in 1941. Japan invades the rubber producing countries at the beginning of World War II, creating all sorts of shortages. If you take a look at the countries that they invaded at the beginning, they were all basically countries that were the source of natural rubber. Because at the time, rubber came from the sap of trees, yeah. right? And, you know, rubber was used in tires and rafts and aircraft products, and they were all made from natural rubber. That was the only rubber that was around. So basically, companies like GE, with the war effort, were looking for a substitute. They were trying to right. find a substitution for natural rubber. And James Wright was working on the problem. And he came up with a compound that was soft, sticky, stretchable. And what made it unusual is that it can be compressed, and it's a solid that can be cut, but when it's balled up, it bounces, and when left sitting out, it becomes a liquid. Yeah. So it had all these really weird properties because it's actually both a liquid and a solid. The problem was it didn't really work as a rubber substitute. So GE developed this thing, they patented it, they set it aside, went on, you know, eventually vulcanization is what was discovered and all this other stuff. But GE tries to market this product because they sit there and go, okay, well, we got this thing, let's try to market it. And they came up with a few ideas. They tried to market it as a tool, as a hand exercising device. Okay, sure. Fixing wobbly furniture. Not much happened with it and they sort of set it aside. I don't think fixing wobbly furniture like it turns into a liquid if you leave it it's really is one of these things with no (laughs) practical purpose and they tried to find some it's like a slinky it's a spring that doesn't work well as a spring oh but it flops around kind of cool let's make it let's call it a toy exactly so (laughs) peter hudson is an out-of-work ad writer and he's making his rounds at a ge cocktail party and he sees everyone playing with this putty like it was actually something that the employees at GE played with, right? They are bouncing it. They are crafting it. And so he approaches GE and he buys it. He buys the rights for Silly Putty from GE for 147 bucks. 147 147 Well, because they have no idea what to do with it, right? Yeah. So he reaches out to Ruth Fulgator, who has a shop called The Block Shop that does a yearly catalog. They team up and they offer it in the catalog. It's aimed at adults and it's called the great name. You're going to love this name. Wasn't originally called Silly Putty. Great name. The Real Solid Liquid. The Real Solid Liquid. Yes. Trademark. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Even with that name, it does pretty well, but Ruth decides to bail on it. And at this point, Peter's like $12,000 in the debt because of what he's you know, done to try to build this product. Bought a train car full of it. Yeah, and he, and, and he needs a new approach. So Easter is around the corner. So he decides to sell it as an Easter toy and put it in an egg. Nice, yeah. So that's where the whole idea of it going into an egg started. And in February 1950, he took it to the New York International Toy Fair. And it didn't sell all that well, but he did get it into Nemus Marcus and Doubleday Books. Oh, wow. Okay. But the real breakout happened when a writer for the New York Magazine came across it and wrote about it in an article called The Talk of the Town. And it immediately, sales took off. Now, it was around this time that he renamed it the Silly Putty. And he also learned that you could lift pitchers 
from newspapers and stretch it. So they started to talk about that. So they changed it to Silly sure. Putty around that time. So sales goes to 250,000 units and he's making a ton of money. But the big success comes in 1955 because up until this point, he had still been marketing it to adults. <laughs> So in 1955, he pivots to marketing it to kids. TV's coming on the scene. Yeah. And in 1957, he advertises on two shows, Howdy Doody and Captain Kangaroo. That ought to do it. Hey, Stephen, I want to interrupt ourselves. That's not proper grammar, but I I did it anyway. There you go. (laughs) In lieu of our commercial this time, I thought maybe uh, you and I could just chat for a minute. Absolutely. Sounds great. Our goal with the Empire Builders podcast is to talk about business building strategies that have worked for people that started out small and became empires. We want to help you. If you're a business owner and you're listening to the Empire Builders podcast because you want to build your own empire, we've got a pretty sweet offer for you. And that is to just spend 90 minutes chatting with us. It's not a sales call on our part. It's a 90-minute session where beforehand you do a little bit of homework and give us some basic background information about your business. And then we get on a Zoom call and we learn a little bit more about you and we give you the very best advice we can give in a 90-minute session. And I'm going to say it is miles away from it. Like like I hate these dog and pony sales calls where I'm great, Mm -hmm. I'm amazing, here's samples of our work, you should hire us. Which is part of the reason that makes us different is the fact that there is the scorecard and questionnaire that goes out that the owner sends back to us because it allows us to take a couple of days, do some research, put some thought and come with some solid recommendations. Because it's my belief that if we can provide some good insights that somebody maybe more interested in hiring us. And certainly that's a way better experience than meeting with some sales guy who runs you through a dog and pony. It's lots of fun. It's great value. People get a recording of it. I highly recommend people take us up on the offer. Easy to find us. You're listening to our podcast. So find a way to request your 90 minute session with us. Looking forward to talking to you. Let's get back to the story. Back to the story. So he dies in 1976. States worth what would today be like $600 million. And it sells to Crayola. Sales hit 300 million units. And here's the fun thing. The fun thing is you can go on YouTube and you can actually find old commercials from Captain Kangaroo and Howdy Doody. And it's actually Peter Hodgson himself playing this ship's captain. He's sitting there smoking a pipe on a commercial on a kid's <laughs> show. And he's, sure. talking, and he's talking about how he's this ship captain and discovered this thing and whatnot. It's great. You really do need to go to YouTube and look up old Silly Putty, like Captain Kangaroo Silly Putty commercials, and just think about the fact that yeah, he's sitting there, the ship captain smoking a pipe on a, on a show that appears on a kid's television show. <laughs> I used to really enjoy it. I don't have any laying around here, but I've got all kinds of other things that, that I think today you would classify as like a fidget toy. Yeah. Right? It's something that it's just fun to have in your hand and pull it and stretch it and roll it and uh, lift images and bounce it. And it doesn't make noise unless you pop it. You could pop it. Right. You could stretch it slowly, but if you pulled it fast, it would just snap. Right. You know, to me, the part that's interesting about Silly Putty was, you know, first of all, was this thing that, you know, GE had invented because they were trying to find a solution for rubber and invented this thing and they couldn't find a use for it. 
and you know GE sold industrial products and consumer products. And because they never sold toys, they could never get their head around it being a toy. And, and look, we've seen that happen with other companies. Like Xerox invented the computer mouse, right? But they could never think about it as, well, they invented Windows, for God's sakes. They invented so much of the computer mm-hmm. technology, but they could never get their head around it because they saw themselves as a photocopying business. And let's face it, GE was never going to be able to figure out a toy. And even if they saw it as a toy, they wouldn't know what to do with it. So, right. So, but what was interesting was he immediately saw the GE people playing with it. And so went, oh, this could be a a toy for adults because he saw adults playing with it, right? And so that I thought was really, again, really observational. Boy, people are doing this. And he approached GE and of course GE sold it cheap because they were like, well, we have no, we have no use for it. We, We don't know what to do with it. I thought that that was really interesting. And then even just the little twist he did of, oh boy, Easter's coming along. How can I make this fit Easter? Oh, let's put it in an Easter egg. What was he packaging it in before that? You know what? I should have looked that up and I can't remember what it was packaged in. I think it was just like a little, I think again, instead of being an egg, I think it was a little box, like it was just like a little box um, rather than being a colorful egg. Just a giant blob sitting on a retail shelf. Yeah, essentially. Sliced a piece off. Yeah, the real solid (laughs) liquid. What a weird product, right? To have it be so successful. Yes. Because it is. It's just absolutely useless other than other than uh, a little bit of entertainment in your hand. That's it. He did get his break. He took it to the toy fair in the 1950s. He got it in Nemus Market Doubleday and then, you know, got written about in the New York magazine and, and sales took off. But what we also know is when you keep working away at these things, eventually, you know, you do eventually get your break. Right. And sometimes sometimes that's just what it takes. But his real smart move was the pivoting to kids and advertising on television. And again, when we go back to and we've heard about this a few times with a couple of other companies, when we go back to the mid 1950s, the whole idea of advertising toys directly to children was also a bit of a new idea. Yeah, he did a few interesting and innovative things and, you know built an amazing large business based upon a product that actually has no use. <laughs> well, so I just, I actually, Stephen, while we're talking, I just Googled it. And, okay. and there's a, there's a story in science world that says there are other uses. So it does pick up dirt and lint. Okay. My silly putty <laughs> ended up with dog hair and, and all kinds of things in it. Right. It just picks that stuff up. And then, um, you can build up hand muscles after injuries. So that, yeah, that's, that's useful. And then it says the Apollo astronauts used it to hold tools in zero gravity. Oh, is that right? So maybe that's the case. I don't know for sure. <laughs> I don't know if you'd want silly putty getting into all your equipment either. Who knows? <laughs> what a weird, what a weird thing it is. It really is. And fun to talk about. And now I've got to find myself a little egg full of silly putty to add to my uh, growing collection of fidget toys on my desk. Well, and you have permission because it was originally a toy for adults. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's a toy for adults. I don't buy toys for children. I'm I'm an old man now. (laughs) Thanks for bringing us this silly putty story. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at theempirebuilderspodcast.com.